Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 41 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-host, Peter Barracchini. And, Peter, we're down to 14 teams in the NHL playoffs. The Leafs are heading into Game 3 tomorrow, and we've got a lot on the go here. But first off, as always, how's it going out your way? Ah, doing good, man. Doing good. Obviously, this has been a really roller coaster week in Leafland. Um, we've all been tuning into the last two games. What happened in Game One? What happened in Game Two? I know we're gonna touch up on that, but it's been watching the playoffs in general has just been a real big roller coaster. How are you doing, man? Doing uh, doing pretty good, actually. This week, I'm on vacation from my day job. Um, on top of Beautiful. that, I'm also I'm also signed up for my first uh, first set of vaccination uh, this week. So very excited to get that done. Awesome. My wife's uh, my wife's also getting hers this weekend uh, coming up. So um, yeah, it's uh, not only a long weekend. Our little guy turned one last week, and lots uh lots of going on in the personal life so it's it's always nice for that to happen but you mentioned it this week has been absolutely nuts in terms of hockey playoff hockey uh things are things are insane right now we're gonna do things a little differently for episode 41 we're gonna start with our our maple leafs talk uh try and get that you know underway here on our sunday night um but first off Eight players in the history of the Leafs have worn the number 41. Eight players dating back to 1989. Can you name any of those players? I know one of them is definitely Nikolai Kuhlman. Because during the mid-thousands, out of all the players that we've had, he was probably one of the most consistent players that played for the Maple Leafs, even though they were tough times. So I know Nikolai Kuliman was one of them. Um, Dmitry Timoshov was called up, and he wore 41. And I want to say Nikita Sashnikov as well, for a brief stint. So I know... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say so two, maybe three. I know for sure. So you've got the 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 most recent three. So we'll go back. We'll go from most recent to earliest this time. Uh, Dmitro Timoshov in 2020 wore the number 41. Yes. Nikita Soshnikov before him in 2016. Kuliman was from 2009 to 2014. Three for prior to. Prior to him, it was Jason Allison in 2006. Wow. Matt Stajan back in 2003 wore 41. Uh, Shane Toporowski in 1997. Eric Lacroix in 1994. And Paul Gagne back in 1989. Wow. Jason Allison, that's a name. That's a blast from the past. That is a name. And a short stint, he was not the quickest... uh, quickest of feet but uh yeah i mean not uh not a bad name to have in a leafs uniform at that time when they were going through i don't know some kind of run 
Yeah. A run, a run of veterans. They were bringing in whatever veteran they could find. So trying to salvage anything left. That's right. That's right. Trying to salvage anything they could find. Definitely. Um, but uh, with that, let's jump right into our Leafs talk. And obviously, um, big news out of Game 1. But uh, before we get to that, we'll start with some of the smaller news here. Uh, the Leafs did sign Eric Kalgren, uh this week. Um, just a minor signing. Um, obviously, what he's been able to do um, made him noticeable to the Leafs. And that's a that's a position that they would like to kind of build on. So um, what do you think of this this signing? Um, just, just giving them more depth in net, um, can never have enough. Um, I know that him and Pontus Holmberg have sort of that connection considering that Holmberg had had a really impressive season with, uh, Vaxio, uh, Lakers in this SHL, uh, 23 points in 45 games. Um, Colgren had some pretty strong numbers as well, especially in the playoffs, 174 goals against and 930 save percentage. So I think that run for the team really put himself on the Maple Leafs radar and uh, give them some stability in the back end just in case, no matter what. Um, you know, we got uh, Vini Vevelainen, Joseph Wall's looking pretty good. Um, throwing Colgren into the mix is it, it, a minor move. Whether he gets any time at the NHL level remains to be seen, but we know for sure that he's going to get an opportunity to play some <laughs> AHL minutes right now. Yeah, and it's worth noting that it, he was originally a uh, pick of the Arizona Arizona Coyotes, seventh-round pick, 183rd overall back in 2015. Um, that said, his only... Uh, experience in North America was with a, a brief stint with the HL Tucson Roadrunners, uh, where he played two games in 2009-20 uh, with a 0.89 goals against, a 9.67 save percentage, and an 0-1-0 record. Uh, he followed that up by with a stint with the Rapid City Rush of the ECHL, uh, where he played three games, finished two and one, had a 9.24 save percentage, and a 2.70 goals against. So. Not bad numbers in in the short stint that he did have in North America. Um, for the most part, he's a guy that's really hovered around that 230 mark in terms of goals against. Um, obviously, a rough year in the SHL uh, in 2019-20. Um, and then he was loaned to TPS of the Liga, where he he kind of got back on track. Uh, but this past season, he played with the, the uh, Vaxo... Uh, Lakers in the SHL and in 21 games had two a 237 um, goals against a 911 save percentage and finished 12 and nine before a solid playoff run where he finished seven and three with a 174 goals against and a 930 save percentage. So mm-hmm. some pretty solid numbers and again it more or less it's just kind of filling up that depth role in net uh, to see what they can can do moving forward. Obviously, we know Anderson's a free agent at the end of this year, uh, likely not going to be returning, especially with Jack Campbell kind of taking the reins in net uh, over the past season. So uh, always nice to have that depth when it comes to the goaltending position. Um, so that solid signing for, for the Maple Leafs on that one. Um, on top of that, I'd like to also mention that Dr. Haley Wickenheiser has been promoted to Senior Director of Player Development. Um, I mean, big move here, I think, for the Maple Leafs. Obviously, you know, what she's been able to do throughout her hockey career and then what she's been able to do since um, just kind of goes to show you just how much, uh, how important she is as a person, as a 
as a uh, a part of this team. And um, yeah, I mean, realistically, the expertise that she's bringing to this this organization are just so much more beneficial. Knowing that she's in in the role that she is, absolutely. I mean, couldn't be happier for anyone. You know, no one no one basically deserves this job more than her. Um, with her job in the uh, player development role before becoming the senior head right now, it's it's absolutely great to see. Um, and and like, and like you mentioned, what she's accomplished on the ice with Team Canada, um, off the ice, getting her doctorate and her philanthropy work with uh, Conquer COVID and helping everyone out with, you know, the PPE and everything she's a true definition of an icon and a role model and you know we, we just can't be ha- we i mean words can't describe how happy we are for her um this is absolutely amazing and i know she's just going to do a fantastic job in that role yeah no absolutely and um with that let's get to the first round of the playoffs for the toronto maple leafs first time since 1979 that the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens are meeting in the playoffs and two games in obviously this will be uh this will be um hit the airways after or just before game three here but we're, we're recording Sunday night and we're two games into this this playoff series and what this series, I mean, it's got me speechless, really. The stuff that's kind of transpired over the first mm-hmm. two games, the physicality, the 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 play of some of the key players. And you, you, you came out with a great article on the Hockey Writers about three key players that need to really step up and, and step into a, a spotlight for the Leafs that are going to be key to them making, making a run here. And, uh, you know, you, you were spot on if you've looked at it the last <laughs> – you know, game two, um, all three of them contributed, and and that's yeah. huge, huge, huge for them to get that kind of depth, uh, depth play from those guys. But I want to go back to game one to start. Mm-hmm. The Leafs, Leafs lose two to one. The Byron goal, obviously shorthanded, uh, beautiful goal by Byron. We we yes. we are not going to give any uh, Habs hate right now. Um, beautiful goal, um, and, and kind of a testament to how the the Leafs power play has been over the last number of games um, just horrendous. And for them to give up a game winning goal shorthanded just really uh, kind of defines how their power play has been this season. Um, but 2 1, they lose. The biggest, I guess, the biggest story coming out of this whole game was the Tavares injury. Yeah. And at first, everyone thought we were just talking about concussion, obviously. You know, it was hard to watch as he tried to get to his uh, knees there and, and, and sort of buckled back. That was that, very difficult to watch. The, mm. the the blood streaming down his face. We've all seen the images. Um, the, the fact that he had no idea where he was. That's, I mean, anybody who's ever been in that position, you kind of understand what's, what's going on. But for that to be the case, I mean, we saw the worry in Dubas as he ran from the, the box down to the ice, called for medical staff right away. Uh, you know, Tavares was stretchered off, and I'm trying to give everybody who may have not seen it a, a, an image of what the the cha- the chaotic scene that was on the ice. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, I, I forget who it was that tweeted it out, but I've never seen a building with no fans have the breath, the air taking out of, taken out of it. 
and that's yeah. exactly what it was. There was no, there was no air. There was, it was pure silence in the building. And, um, I mean, we find out later that not only did Tavares suffer a, uh, concussion, um, but he also suffered a knee injury on the play. Um, good news is there was no structural damage to his head, his neck or his back, um, which is, is is majorly good news. Um, obviously, we all know that concussions can take forever to come back from. It depends on the person. It depends on the concussion. It depends on so many outside uh, uh, things. Um, and then the knee injury will obviously keep him out for a couple of weeks as well. But in your opinion... Um, did you feel that the Leafs maybe because of the emotional, um, uh, what's the word, the the emotional impact guess, impact of the of yeah. the event? I mean, how can it not, right? I mean, you see that happen. Your captain goes down. You're in a massive panic. And considering in all the Maple Leafs injuries, I've never seen mass panic on ice for an injury then maybe and I know that there have been other incidences in go, all levels. Uh, I go back Barry, to Brian Burrard for this one. I was just about to say Brian Burrard yeah. with the stick coming up in the eye, almost losing his uh, vision, sight, and everything like that. That was the first thing in terms of maple leaves came to my mind. And yeah, perfectly. Um, I Because Brian Burrard was one of my favorite players growing up, and seeing that happen as a kid, I was traumatized. Seeing this right now as a grown adult, I am still traumatized. Um, like you said, uh, see, if you're, doesn't matter if you're a fan of the Leafs, opposing team, like if you're a Habs fan or even a teammate, it just takes so much out of you. I remember watching that with my friends online Zoom, and we saw what happened. We just thought that, oh, okay, um, you know, Tavares is down how bad is it and then we see him lay motionless and then move his leg and i was just in absolute shock and belief i'm like oh god dear god please no please no and when i saw him lose his balance falling into the hands of the medical staff and the trainers i thought the worst i thought oh shit this is not good at all like at all and seeing the images slow-mo i know fans were really appalled that they were showing it non-stop but that was just absolutely gruesome i've never seen anything like that and if you're the maple leafs all of them came onto the ice surrounding him jason spezza tried to get his attention and he right and tavares recognizes his voice you know that shows the camaraderie of this team and props to them for still playing through it and battling through um, they tied the game, ended up losing, not the outcome they wanted. I'm pretty sure they wanted to win it then. But game two happened, and it was a whole completely different story. So you know their mindset is in the right place. And I know Alex Hobson wrote a great article about this. Um, Leafs have had difficulty with adversity in the past. There's nothing bigger right now. And stepping up and playing for your captain after what you witness a, a very serious collision and injury. I mean, by no fault of Corey Perry's, but it's, it's again, it's, I can't fathom the players witnessing it. I can't, I can't fathom seeing, you know, Matthews, Marner, 
Thornton, Spezza, everybody seeing that happen is just so difficult. And then Dubas running out, I thought like he he looked like the Flash, jumping out of the box, running down the stairs, getting out his phone. And I believe Kristen Shilton tweeted out that he was calling his wife at that moment to fill her in on what was going on. Can you imagine getting that call? It's it's terrifying. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. I think game two, we really saw the Leafs come back to who they were, but that took a lot of air out of out of their their sails. And I yeah. mean, to see to see a teammate go down like that. And and I do apologize for interrupting. You were going on to that Berard injury, but no, no, no. Was, I just couldn't think of it at that moment. But it's yeah, brought it up. Yeah, the second the second I I saw that injury. It was immediately took me back to as a kid watching Berard take that stick to the mm. eye and and the the severity of that injury and yeah. you know the outcome of of what transpired following that. Um, it, it just really reminded me of of you know that kind of atmosphere, I guess. And like you said, to see him buckle back the way that he did. Um, for me, that that was kind of the moment where I wondered if it was more severe than than I originally had hoped. Yes. I, you know, yeah. and I say that with like I had hoped that you know it was just a quick. You hoped you know, to God it wasn't anything worse. Than yeah, what it was. yeah. And then you know you see the thumbs up. Obviously, you know in that moment they're talking to him about whether he can mm-hmm. wiggle his toes, feel his legs, and 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 those are the questions that are are surfacing in, in right in the aftermath of of what happened, but. Um, I do think that it impacted the way that they played the rest of the game, not knowing how he was, not knowing with them thinking about that hit and thinking about what had happened and thinking about all the questions surrounding the health of their captain, not Mm -hmm. only the health of their captain, but the health of their friend, um, their brethren. Um, it just, I mean, I think it took a lot out of them. And for him, I mean, you've seen reports now coming out that he's uh, he's he's been very vocal in their group chat and, and sending yes. mo- motivational uh, messages. And Zach Bogosian was one of the guys that came out and said that. And, I mean, that's that's why he he's wearing the C. Like, mm-hmm. he's not maybe the most vocal when it comes to the media and speaking to, to the press. But in front of the guys. Kind of, in front of the guys. And... Yeah. and to to be able to do what he's doing, yes, he hasn't been at the rink since it happened. With, uh, I mean, obviously, like you want him to stay home, rest, and 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 feel better. But mm-hmm. um, for him to do what he's doing in that group chat, for him to still be a part of that team, for him to still add that motivational speech, for these guys to even have a group chat, um, just kind of, you know, exemplifies why he is where he is. Yeah, and. For a second, just you know, the hockey world stopped and hoped and held their breath and 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 closed their eyes and just wished for the best for for John Tavares. And um, you know, I I I'm still saddened by the fact that he he's not on the ice with the boys. Mm-hmm. But for him to be, for him to be okay, is is all that matters. And right now. Yeah. Okay, is at home, breathing, walking, moving with his, kids. With his wife, with his kids. Yeah. Um, and, and understanding that you know hockey at the end of the day is just a game. Mm-hmm. And um, 
to see to see the way that his his brothers on ice came to his side um, really defines who he is as a person. I think that's what we need to take away with it from it. And yeah. I, like you said, I get that people were frustrated with the fact that they slowed it down and showed it over and over again. The fact was they were trying to figure out what was happening. Even yeah. the announcers in real time, there was no way for them to understand what had happened. Yeah, They were trying to understand. They were trying to piece together what exactly took place. They were trying to show us as the fans what had transpired in those moments that led to him laying on the ice. Mm-hmm. And that is why they reshot. That's why they replayed it over and over again. Yeah. It wasn't to, you know, disparage what had happened. It wasn't to. Um, you want to get the facts as to the play that unfolded. Yes. I mean, yes. So we like to be honest, as it unfolded quickly, I had no idea that even Corey Perry clipped them. It happened so quick until they slowed it down and you saw what happened. Yeah, it, it is gruesome. It is disturbing. I get you don't want to see it. But we've seen this on multiple broadcasts. I mean, or even earlier this year when Eric Aaron Ekblad landed on his leg and his foot twisted the opposite direction. That was gruesome. And they replayed it multiple times over and over again. Obviously, you know, still severe injuries. It's cringeworthy. But, you know, they have to dissect it down. They have to look at the play. And I get it. I was even frustrated at that moment because we've seen it quite a bit. I think we could... After the fifth or sixth time, we could see what happened. But you know what? Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, I, I also just want to give a shout out to Wayne Simmons with that first intermission interview. He was visibly shaken up and you could tell that it got to him and, you know, ultimately everybody else. But you know what? Um, that effort in the second game, game two really show that they were able to rally around and maybe they could get over the hump and get over this adversity. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And um, it, it kind of brings us to our next question. And there was a lot of controversy on, you know, the the big bad world of Twitter afterwards about whether or not it was a dirty play by Corey Perry. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you and I are both going to agree on this one, but I'm going to go out there and say that, you know, I think this is a, this is a case of of Tom Wilson syndrome where people look at the name, see Corey Perry, and know yeah. that yeah, he's look made at his some, history. Yeah, he's made some dirty plays over his career. That said, Corey Perry made one of the most classy moves um, in skating over to the stretcher as they were taking him off, tapped yeah. him on the shin pad. Remember, these guys were both London Knights at one point. And not Team a, Canada, Team Canada, Team Canada. Well. They they're not. Corey Perry is not going out there trying to injure somebody blatantly, you know, sh- giving him a shin to the head. Yeah. I mean, realistically, that could have that could have hurt hurt Corey Perry as much as it hurt John Tavares. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it was a split second happening where, you know, the the collision between Tavares and Sherratt happened at the blue line, and and the way that Tavares fell, he fell into the path of, of Perry, and Perry made an attempt to get out of the way and in doing so his shin pad you know hit john right square in the face and that's it it happens that's that's the unfortunate part about this game in any sport for that matter it happens and at the end of the day um you know to go out there and criticize Corey perry is just you know you're gonna hear the chirps from leafs nation that's just the way that hockey fans are they go after the other team but Corey Perry was out there doing his job and his job is to rile up 
the other team. And what happened was was purely an accident. Um, to say anything else is is just, you know, ignorance at its at its finest. Yeah, I mean, with how fa- I mean, like I said before, it unfolded very quickly. Um, I don't understand how there could be any intent where the hit happens so quickly. A player is moving up. He sees a player come in his path, and he has very little time to avoid. I mean, you can argue that Sherrod's hit was questionable. It was clean, but he did stick his knee out, and it got him in the leg, which led to his leg injury that, you know, gave, that Dubas gave the timeline of two weeks. You could argue about the actual initial hit of Sherrod, but after that, the impact and Tavares rolling over into his path, and as soon as his head turned around, hit, Corey Perry's knee was right then and there. There is no time for him to avoid it. And it's absolutely unfortunate that it happened. And if Perry did have time, he probably would have moved away. We know we again, we know his history, but he's not going out to, you know, take off a guy's head like, you know, some may have may think that that's the case. It's not. Um, Would I do I wish that maybe. I, I mean, you know, in an alter alternate universe going sci-fi here if the shin pad maybe have hit him in his arm or his chest that probably would have been a better outcome than you know a knee to the face but at the same time it was purely accidental i i I don't see any intent whatsoever especially with the way that it everything unfolded it was so quick yeah I i just don't think that perry has the opportunity in that split second to even make that decision on whether he's going to intentionally go after Tavares's head or not like yeah that's that's where you have to you know circle back to sensibility and realism and say look in this situation there's not any way that any player has that time to make their mind up it it, it comes back to rationality and and you know I get it I get it I've been a fan of the Maple Leafs since I can remember yeah um you know I bleed blue I love this team and I get frustrated at the simplest of, of comments. Um, you know, anybody that's followed me on Twitter <laughs> could have seen that during game two. I think I lost every Montreal follower. Oh, that you I were, had. you were having a blast out there. Oh, you know, sometimes you just get a few of the, few of the beers in you and you just go. But my, my thing is, is like, you know, I can still circle back to rationality and, yeah. and saying that, and you know, the, the, the people I was interacting with the other night, they were not being rational. They were being fans. They were being passionate about their team. And I get it. I get it. If you want to unfollow me because I'm going to speak facts, that's fine. But for those in Leafs Nation going after Corey Perry for what he did, you know, it's done. Stop. It's done. I don't want to hear about it anymore because the fact is I think – Corey Perry is just as rattled as the Maple Leafs were. And I think Corey Perry's still feeling it in game two. And I think Corey Perry's going to feel it in game three, game four, game five. He is going to, he's going to feel for what had, ha- what happened. Because yeah. I, I think, you know, when you injure somebody and you, you, obviously your intention is not to injure him, but if you injure a guy, obviously, you know, that's on your mind. And I think it's, I, I'm not in his head, but I think that's there. I think that's a thought that's at the back of his mind right now. Yeah, and and actually this kind of brings me to our next point. A lot of people, I mean, 
obviously, you know, as he stretched it off, we saw Nick Felino talking to Corey Perry afterwards. And at that point, you kind of figured that, you know, the gloves were going to get dropped. Um, a lot of people were really questioning the fight, um, considering the fact that, you know, there people were being rational, that there was no intent. It was purely accidental. Why is he dropping the gloves? I... I think we can agree. Uh, I mean, obviously, we agree there was no intent on Perry's part. And Nick Foligno gave his take on, you know, why he fought uh, Corey Perry. Um, it was to send a point that, you know, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but um, actually I do. Um, when he was talking to this, uh, it's according to Lance Hornby. Um, Nick Foligno said, our captain is laying on the ice. They would have done the same if it was their captain. Uh, the hit wasn't malicious. The fight takes away any gray area. Perry's a big boy. It just allows everyone to go back and play. I'm, for one, as soon as I saw the fight, I'm like, Nick, why are you doing this? It doesn't make any sense. Sense. You know, the captain is laying on the ice, gets stretchered off, and... You know, you have to answer this. And we've talked about this, answering the bell, whether someone likes what someone did or whether they didn't. And I agree where Felino is coming from. It may not have made sense, but I understand why he dropped the gloves. And I want to get your take on that because, again, this was another very questionable, you know, point among Leafs Nation. Yeah, so, I mean, hear me out. I... I kind of was in the same boat in the sense that I was like, okay, the fight, not entirely necessary. I'm not huge on stage fighting. I think fighting yeah. has a place in the game. I, you know, anybody can argue that with me any day that they want. More injuries happen because of hits than they do from fighting. So for them to argue that there's concussions involved, you know what? Players have the opportunity to turn down fights if they want. Yeah. Okay. What Felino said was that, you know, Corey's a big boy. He can do, you know, he he can make up his own mind. We all saw Corey Perry wiggle the gloves. We all know what that means. He was mm-hmm. he was set to go. He was now, ready. Did he, did he want to go? Maybe not. Maybe yeah. maybe he didn't think it was worth it. And you know, you saw Shea Weber kind of come in and try and intervene. And you know, I'm I'm sure Felino said the same thing to him. Hey, um, you know, if you were laying on the ice, you don't think your guys would stand up for you. And and that's where I think. You have to remember, Felino's a new guy coming into this dressing room, still trying to make a name for himself. Mm. And for him to, to to drop the gloves in that moment, it's not so much to take away. It's not so much because it was a malicious hit. It's not so much to take away gray, gray area as much as it is him saying, okay, this is an event that happened on the ice. There's a lot of emotion going on right now. There's a lot of emotion. The only way to get rid of that emotion out of the game without it getting out of control is get it to over with. get it over with. And yeah. that's that's where I think people need to look at it. Say, okay, you know what? This ends it right here. This stops this, you know, the next play that's dirty has nothing to do with the hit that happened. Corey Perry answered the bell for the hit that happened. It was not malicious. I'm there with every Habs fan out there. It's yeah. not. It was not a malicious hit. That said, there need there needed to be a close in terms. It's you know what? It's like closing out a bad relationship. 
mm-hmm. you need to get some closure. And that's all that this was. This was closure. This was Nick Felino saying, okay, you know what? My captain's on the ice. We got to close this out. Make it, a, 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 you know, done deal. It's a, it's an event that happened. We'll joke about it, you know, f- 10 years from now. Let's get it over with now before we carry this into the rest of the this series. And that's what I think it was. I, I, I don't think it was... I can see why people are arguing that it's not justifiable. I'm not one for staged fights. Yeah. That said, I think there was more to this than just a staged fight. We're not talking about like George LaRock and Colton Moore going at it. You're talking about the captain. You're talking about your captain on the ice. You're talking about a former captain of the Columbus Blue Jackets and Nick Foligno. And you're talking about a guy who has been part of leadership all across the board, wherever he's gone from team Canada to the Anaheim ducks to, you know, playing in Montreal, he is part of a leadership program and, you know, Corey Perry knew what he was doing. He wasn't getting into that fight just because he's a tough customer as well. And, you know, I don't have an issue with it. I, I really don't. I, I, I thought long and hard about this because I knew it was going to be a topic of a discussion. I knew it was going to be something that we talk about on Twitter. And, and I really wanted to have my mind made up before I got into conversation about it. And for me, it was a fight that needed to happen because it they needed that closure. And that's that's where I'm going to stand. And, you know, there's going to be people out there that don't like it. And, and I'm okay with that. And if you want to have the conversation, I'm more than willing to have that conversation. But um, there's something about the game of hockey when there's emotion flowing through players especially after you lose one of your own that you know emotions are at an all-time high stupid things are going to happen it's better to get it done with right away than to to let it kind of progress it's funny that you mentioned you know with the analogy that you made to relationship trying to close the book and let it you know it's over and done with it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because when games two started and I saw Wayne Simmons on the top line right beside Josh Anderson, it didn't quite seem like this was going to go away anytime soon. And we saw that, you know, a little instance where both Jason Spezza and Corey Perry clipped skates. Uh, Wayne Simmons, again, knocking Josh Anderson down after they had a little, you know, uh, you know, high up at center ice and Wayne Simmons gets up and he cross checks him down it seems like like I understand where you're coming from to try and close the book on the actual incident itself but it seems like the book is still partially open as a result that you know this is not even over by a long shot and we saw the intensity in game two from both sides yeah and I I agree with you in the sense that you know you put Simmons out there just I think it was more of an in case. It was an in case. Yeah. In case Montreal. Yeah. And I think it was in case Montreal went after, you know, you have Matthews starting the game. Um, And, and, you know, they obviously weren't too happy with the fight. Um, And I think that's why you have Simmons on the ice, just to let them know, like, hey, there's still a presence here. We're not going to get bullied. We're not going to get bullied. We're not the Toronto Maple Leafs of the past. We have that presence in our locker room and he's here to stay and he's willing to go after each and every one of you. And I think that's what it was. Like, that's the way I took it. Um, mm-hmm. I get how some people might see it as like a, 
you know, they're they're trying to say like, hey, you know, we're ready to go for game two. But um, no, I think it was more just letting Montreal know that this isn't going to be an easy series. This isn't going to be a a team that's going to get pushed around. And if Simmons has to play 20 minutes so that he can patrol the ice, Simmons is going to play 20 minutes so he can patrol the ice. That's that. That's what they brought him in for. He's a guy who can still play the game. I mean, he's he's got some pretty slick hands, and he's not he's not you know the slowest guy out there. Like he's he's a pretty quick guy. Um, so for me, that's what it was. I loved it. I thought it was like, you know, it's it's a Toronto. It's something we we haven't seen in Toronto for a long time. In letting another team know that, hey, you want to come at us? We're right here, and. You know, I would stick Simmons out there every other shift for the entire first period if I had to, just to let them know that this isn't going to go away. Like, there's emotion there, absolutely, but this isn't resonating from the the Tavares injury. This is this is far far more. This is we played ten times this year, and um, you know, if you want to grind it out, we'll grind it out. We've got the guys in our lineup to do it as well. No, definitely, and. The fact I, I I'm just gonna jump in to the game two with Sheldon Keith's comments about the Habs taking a string of penalties and you know getting a little too aggressive with the sticks. Um, you know, Keith said they want to make it a war. If you're going to do that, you're at risk of getting penalties called against you. And I think this edge that Montreal is coming in to try and make life difficult for Toronto is going to come and come full circle and bite them because you play with this big of an aggressive mentality, it's going to hurt you. And now that the fact that, you know, in game two, for the first time, I think since March 3rd, Toronto scored two power play goals from Sandy to Needlander. Yeah, March 3rd. Yeah. If this power play continues to be hot in game three... Man, I know I mentioned that, you know, in my, you know, X Factors, the power play needed to heat up. We know Toronto is really damn impressive at five on five. But the fact now that they got two power play goals, they can ease in and be like, okay, we have something in place. We have another shooting option in Rasta Sandine. This physical mentality that Montreal is going to come in to try and bruise Toronto is ultimately going to hurt them because they don't have the offensive firepower like they do to hurt them on the power play. And now that things are starting to click, Toronto has the edge uh, offensively. And even because they held their own in game two, Um, I know game one, the hit disparity was pretty significant. Uh, Like the margin between Montreal and Toronto, they closed the gap and they meant business. And the fact that, you know, Wayne Simmons was being Wayne Simmons. He set the tone from the very start. And even at the end of the game, he knows they have the momentum going into Montreal and they're going to carry it over. They, everything is on their side and they're going to keep it that way. So here are my notes from, from game two, obviously the Leafs won five, one, the two power play goals. They were pretty goals. Like, um, you know, Sandine, obviously, as, as you mentioned on PP one, like he looked rocket. He looked phenomenal. He looked so good. Friend of the show, Patrick Sandine, you should be absolutely proud of your son. Yes. Um, but he looked he looked great, deserving of every minute that he played. Five minutes of power play time for that guy. Uh, fourteen, just over fourteen and a half minutes of, of ice time altogether. Um, 
But I'm going to go off of that for a second. So you want to talk about the power play. And there were some comments following the game from Dominic Ducharme and, and Jesperi Kotkaniemi about, you know, the string of penalties that, that uh, Montreal took and how, you know, may, well, uh, Kotkaniemi decided he wasn't going to comment on the, on the uh, on that as, anyways. But Ducharme kind of made note of, you know, the fact that there was a number of uh, uh, penalties handed to um, Montreal and none going the way of Toronto. Let's talk about the hits for a second, because in game one, I think Toronto finished with 22 or 23 hits game two. They had just under 20 hits in the first period alone. Uh, and, and easily could have had more. I, I think uh, that the counting was a little off on Matthews uh, overall hits. I think he finished with four. He should have had about eight or nine, but um Shea Weber was fined $5,000 for a cross-check to the back of Simmons' head. Kotkaniemi, his comments, um, mm-hmm. um, did the reason, I mean, I, I posed the question to Twitter afterwards, after I saw Kotkaniemi's uh, uh, comments, what penalty do you take away? Like, which one of those penalties do you call back and say, you know what, you're right, we shouldn't have called that one a penalty? I, I can't think of one. I think every single one was a justifiable justifiable penalty. And, yeah. you know, do I think the Leafs could have got called on one or two more things? Absolutely. I mean, there's always some questionable calls. That said, I don't think the Hyman penalty was a, was a penalty in the first period where he got called for holding. That was a weak call. It was an awful call. Mm-hmm. And, and you're, I mean, there's, there's always going to be questions. But, I mean, you mentioned it. Simmons got under the skin of Shea Weber got under the skin of Ben Sherratt, got under the skin of uh, Joel Edmondson, and looked for that to carry over to Game 3 because that was right at the tail end of the game. And, you know, fake throwing a punch at Edmondson, Edmondson coming over, he was taking cross-checks from Sherratt and Edmondson at the same time yeah. in front of the net. Um, what else will carry? Al, uh, Alex Kerfoot got under the skin of Corey Perry. I loved that. Jason, that was Spe- great. Jason Spezza went over, uh, went after Corey Perry. We saw, you know, Austin Matthews knock down Brendan Gallagher. Um, yeah, I mean, even even Simmons with Anderson at center ice when he flipped him over his back and then gave him a cross check to the chest, which eventually led to my conversation on Twitter with fan sided's uh, Habs coverage team. I guess I, I don't know. They said he was cross checked in the face. I I, I decided to, yeah, I, I decided to speak a little fact and, and my good, uh, my good friend Omar there on, on Twitter decided to, uh, help me out with a nice gif, um, to, to, to prove my point. But, yeah. um, that's besides the point. I digress a little bit. The point is that each of those penalties were deserving. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there could have been a couple more that were called. I mean, this is a team that go back to our, like first few games of the season, and Austin Matthews was talking about how they were getting away with cross-checks in front of the net. Ben Sherratt was cross-checking Austin Matthews in front of the net, and he answered the bell when Wayne Simmons beat the living shit out of him. Yeah. We all remember that. That was Simmons' game first one. fight. Game one. First fight as a Toronto Maple Leaf, and he beat the living crap out of, of uh, Ben Sherratt. Now, Sherratt might not remember, but... <laughs> I think he's, he just doesn't want to. He's working his way into another beating, and he's not far off. And I think that's I, – I mentioned at the end of game two, look for this to carry over to game three because uh, Simmons is not a guy that forgets. 
He's Never. played in this league far too long to know that, you know, he at the end of the game there, we all saw him skating off, taking numbers, taking names. He's ready to go. <laughs> that was great. That was I great. loved it. I loved it. Hits. And that's bring him back every season until the day he retires. This is a guy that's willing to do anything for the team that he plays for. And not only that, but what he's done outside of the organization in terms of what he does for the community. Mm-hmm. This guy is a guy that should be on Toronto for the rest of his career. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. Give him Thornton and Spezza. Well, whether Thornton retires or not, give him, give Simmons and Spezza another contract at the end of this year. Cause it's it, whatever's happening is working. Um, lifetime mentioned- contracts at league minimum. There you go. I'll take it. And if they'll take it, that's perfect. But you were talking about the hits, 55-27 to 27 for Montreal in Game 1. In Game 2, it was 44-36. to 36. So, narrowing the gap there. The only reason that gap was so big in Game 2, though, is because Toronto carried the puck the entire second period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you can't hit when you don't have the puck. And also... There, like a lot of the penalties that the Habs took were stupid. I mean, in Game One, there were three delay of game penalties with the puck going over. Two were justified. One, it seems like it deflected off a stick and went up, and they still called it. That was dumb, but whatever. Um, at the same time, the Habs got you know three freebies right there as, as a result of Toronto's mistakes. The Habs self-inflicted wounds on the power play was a result of them making stupid plays. And, you know, like you said, and we even talked about this on the Maple Leafs Lounge, you know, there were some calls that should have been called and then some that shouldn't for both sides. Yeah, I get that. But you know what? Most of the calls were justified. And the fact that, you know, you compl- you're complaining about your own stupid mistakes. I mean, I saw I saw the comment from Kuk and Yemi. Uh, John Liu tweeted it out from TSN. I just quoted it. And I'm like, simple. Don't take dumb penalties. And the fact that Dominic Ducharme is complaining about, you know, the calls. Meanwhile, he made a god-awful coach's challenge where there was no interference whatsoever. There's another penalty for you for delaying game for arguing about something that wasn't even there. So I find it ironic that he's talking about bad penalties when he just gave his team a bad penalty. So I'm... My mind is like trying to process everything, but it isn't. Can we just pause for laughter uh, from the crowd here? Because that uh, that uh, challenge, that coach's challenge. I mean, what the hell were they thinking? Like, what what were they thinking? I I just has oh, man has hockey become so soft that a little tap on the pads is considered goaltender interference? Even so, even if they had a case where Thornton stick did impede with carry price. It's not major to warrant the fact that they can overturn it. Carry price was still in position, still squared. The puck was already between his legs going in the net when that happened. So I don't understand where there is major infliction impeding the goalies impact to make a save if Thornton was you know blocking his view and he bumps into him okay maybe again you have a case and Carey Price is way out of position can't do anything I get it there was nothing there 
And the fact that you see Mark Bergevin pointing at the screen emphatically, emphatically saying that, oh, that there's goaltender interference, that became a meme in itself. So, you know, thank you, Mark. Just- Thank you, Mark I, Bergevin, for giving Leafs Nation another meme, as if we didn't have one with Pierre Dorian whipping his cup with Justin Hall's game winner. Like, okay. I, I don't ah, I don't get it. And so, I'm not just saying this to, like, you know, rile up the Habsans base. There was no grounds for a challenge whatsoever. And even Treg Wilson and even Blaine Poffin said there was nothing. There was I – got, I got to mention, so first off – the meme thing is hilarious because we all we all know Matthew's smile when he was getting kind of horse collar there a little bit in game one. Oh yeah, and that was perfect. Omar, I mentioned him earlier in the show. If you're not following him, definitely hit him up on Twitter. Tic Tac T Omar. Yes. Um fantastic guy. Absolutely unbelievable. But his uh he he had one where he has Matthew's smile on the screen. And he's got Mark Bergevin. Where do I get one of those? I saw that. I saw that. And then I think one of the comments was simple. You draft him. Yeah. (laughs) That just that honestly, it made my day. Um, There was another one. I can't I can't seem to find it on my timeline. But another one where he's pointing at the screen and it's uh, where's Waldo? Oh, my God. (laughs) And if I find it, I will I will mention it. But it was that one, too, was just phenomenal. Like, it's just the amount of hilarity that is ensuing from this is just uh, it's 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 got my like it's got my stomach hurting from laughing so hard (laughs) because I just it's perfect. It's just exactly what you want um, coming out of a game. But I mean, yeah, like (sighs) There was a lot of questions about. There was a hit Hyman made on uh, on Kotkaniemi where he just blasted him into the boards with his butt. He used mm-hmm. his, his his rear end to just yeah. absolutely blast him, and I loved it. I loved Same every minute of it. Ball on Shea Weber, which led to Shea Weber doing a retaliatory penalty on Pierre Engvall. Yes, yes, and um, then there was a. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other play. Anyways, I mean, for me, people questioned whether that was a clean hit or not. For me, it was it was by far, uh, you know, a clean hit. I think he was turning around, you know, led with his butt, and, and uh, you know, it looked a lot worse than it was because of where, you know, where he was in line with the boards. Mm-hmm. And I think Kotkaniemi kind of turned a little bit as as he went in as well. So um, definitely worse than it it should have been. But I mean, I, I don't know. I, I just I think this whole questioning the refereeing. I mean, I'd be right there too. If I thought the refereeing was bad, I do think that there was some calls that could have been made, some calls that weren't made, but I think it went both ways. So um, at the end of the day, Jack Campbell's first Stanley Cup playoff win, Rasmus yes. Sandin's first Stanley Cup playoff goal, and Jason Spetz's first Stanley Cup playoff goal with the Leafs. So, um, yeah, hell of, hell of an effort, boys, in, in Game 2, and, and Game 3 should be just as much fun. The, I do have two questions before we jump over to, you know, just our general uh, hockey talk. First off, it is being reported that Montreal will be allowed fans as early as Game 6 of this series. If, in fact, this series goes, game, goes to go, Game 6, do you think that it is a fair advantage for the for the Habs to get fans in their building mid-series. 
No. But then again, that Montreal, Quebec seems to be in a better spot COVID-wise to allow fans back in than Ontario does. And we all know what happened in Ontario was a complete, you know, crapshoot with the way how this third wave was being handled before and during. So, no, I mean, they, they, they're at that point now where they can allow some fans in. Great. Is it fair? No. Because, you know, what if we what if we took things a bit seriously and, you know, maybe we had fans in for games one and two? Um, obviously, the fans play a huge part. But at the same time, and I mentioned this on the lounge, this could be a good thing for Toronto. You know the fans are there. You have something to silence when you go in for game six, if it comes down to it. Because... Go, trying to win back-to-back games right now with three and four is going to be difficult. You would love to come back with one and then win game five on home ice and then possibly take it game six. I think that could be a real advantage for the Maple Leafs in the sense that, again, you know the fans are going to be riled up and you know what away teams should do. Silence the home crowd right away. Take, suck all the energy out and just basically put it on your shoulders and take that with you. I, yeah, unfair advantage, but I think this is something that you, that the Maple Leafs can't use if they get to that point. I, I, I know I'm probably going to sound like a broken record because I just probably repeated myself twice because I don't have another option or another point to build on top of it. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm, I'm in full agreement with you. I think that, uh, I don't know. I was just thinking more like, hey, maybe the NHL steps in and says, you know, fans can enter Montreal to start, you know, round two if, in fact, the team makes it there. But mm-hmm. um, the other question I had for you, Shania Twain posted a picture mm, side, yeah. side by side, her wearing a Leafs getup and her wearing a Canadians getup. And now let me start. Let me <laughs> let me start with <laughs> the fact that I grew up on country music. So. Shania Twain always heard her stuff. Um, you know, fantastic country artist. That said, what the fuck? Man, I don't know. I don't know if you can choose both. Yeah, yeah, it's like me with my family. You know, I'm a Leafs fan. They're the Habs fans. You know, it, you're, you're caught in the middle. I think you just got to pick one one side and just go with it. You You, you can't be in the middle. You really can't. Yeah, I said I, I <laughs> tweeted it out and said, "Hey, it's it's almost like saying, hey, give me the meatiest burger you have, but I also want a veggie burger.' Um, like it's just like choosing whether or not you're gonna eat meat. And uh, yeah, I I don't know, I don't know. I kind of I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. I kind of took offense to the 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 post. <laughs> I was I mean, a little offended. I mean, it's great that she wants to be impartial, but yeah, let's let, let's go with I that. Have- Let's Shania, if you're listening to this, I don't know if you are, but if you are, please pick the Maple Leaf side. You know, you know it's the right choice. Shania, if you're listening to this, we'll give you the opportunity to come on our podcast and <laughs> choose which side you'd like to be on. Even if it's eeny, meeny, miny, mo, I don't care. Just pick one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, we'll jump over to some of the NHL talk. Actually, sorry, there was one more thing we wanted to mention. Um, Obviously, I'm not going to mention the newspapers. We all know, you know, 
which which newspapers they were, but the 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 choice in front covers following the Tavares injury, yes. um, and the headlines that were made because of it, um, you know, being from a journalism background, one of the rules that you're always taught is that if it bleeds, it leads, and not literally speaking, but sometimes literally speaking. Yeah. And in this case, you know, obviously the Tavares hit was the story. Um, and we we don't blame any of the writers for these these uh, these two newspapers. Obviously, you know, there's some incredible writers that work for these these two companies. But the fact that they went with the photos they went with and the headlines they went with, cr- Captain Crunched, um, is just ignorant. It's disgusting. It's despicable. And there's a good reason why certain newspapers are slowly dying off. And 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 it pains me to say that as a journalism. Um, uh, a former jo- journalism student, um, but the fact is, like, in a world of social media, for you to ha- put that out there, you had to know that you were going to be questioned about it. And and unfortunately, these two organizations they thrive off the uh, controversial, controversial, the yeah. views, whatever you have may have. Um, they don't care any any publicity is good pub- publicity for them and in this case I, I just think it's sickening that you decided to go that route um, that said um, you know I, I I've always voiced my opinion on both of these newspapers I think they're both tabloid papers and uh, because of that I, I just don't have any time for it and um, yeah I mean I think I speak on behalf of most of Leafs Nation when you when I say you can go fuck yourselves. Disgusting, repulsive, classless. The list goes on. And the statement that came out with it, just pure tone deaf. I mean, there like there is no apology whatsoever. And I'm glad that Dubis called them out on it because as he said, it was disgusting and it crossed the line. And the fact that he's taking a stand for with his captain because of it just proves that what they did was a joke. And I wrote about, um, you know, an article that I just recently wrote yesterday about Dubas showing that he's more than just, you know, a roster builder. He's a compassionate guy. He cares about his players. And for him to show what he did during Tavares' injury to call out this newspaper and, you know, I mentioned it in the article, but if you don't know – Go ahead and read it because it was disgusting. And the fact that he took that stand against them shows where the priority is. This is his team. This is, as he said, this is his captain. He's an astounding member of the community. And you have the audacity to do that. I'm sorry. That 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 That's garbage. It's a joke. Yeah, I think even uh, what was crazy is in Austin Matthews postgame uh, presser in uh... – for game two when a sun reporter asked him a question he kind of you know his his approach definitely changed in responding to that question and it's unfortunate because again i don't think it's a knock on the reporters i mean no. the reporters are there doing their jobs and, and the the ones i speak of they've had a long standing relationship with the leafs and the organization and you know to their credit um haven't really commented on the uh the the headline yes um mm-hmm. and, and i don't think it's necessary that they do 
Um, that said, you know, again, I want to reiterate that it's not a knock on on the writers. It's a knock on no. on the the publishing team that decided to put a paper out that looked like that. So, um, the, anyways, the beat writers that do write for them, um, that we see constantly and that I follow on Twitter, they do a fantastic job. Yeah, so no, absolutely. They, credit where credit is due those two people um they do a fantastic job no matter what um i i, I think we should give notoriety where credit is due i i, I do enjoy terry Koshin and lance horby's work i have for the longest time um it again like you said it's not their fault they always do a respect respectful job and they have a great rapport with you know it's dubis keith the players and everybody so Shout out to them because they always put in the work and the time to do a phenomenal job. Yeah, and they—they, they, I mean, they come out and they show their faces in that dressing room, regardless of of the state of the uh, the team as well. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, good on them, as you mentioned. Uh, great follows as well if you're if you're interested. Um, but uh, yeah, enough about that. As I mentioned, I don't want to mention yes. the paper because I don't want to give them any more any more publicity than they already have so let's jump over to the rest of the playoffs going on right now and Mm -hmm. what a day for playoff hockey today what a week um week i mean i i I don't really know where to start aside from the fact that the edmonton oilers are down three nothing and while it's not not as bad as you know the maple leafs giving up a 4-1 lead in an elimination game they did give up a 4-1 lead to lose in overtime uh, to go down 3 nothing to the Winnipeg Jets. And yikes. Um, I think it was you, actually, that tweeted it out that, you know, not only is... Maybe it was Alex Hobson, but um, not only is Buffalo wasting a generational talent in Jack Eichel, but Edmonton could potentially be wasting two generational talents in Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. Um, I don't think I tweeted that out. I did so tweet must, out. I believe it was Alex. Yeah, I did tweet out the fact that you know, the fact that they were shut down for two games. That the Oilers' death is going to be an issue with compared to the Winnipeg Jets, and the fact that they were shut out in games one and two that is a cause for concern because. Well, uh, based on what the stat sheet says, I believe McDavid and Dreisaitl each had three points in the loss. Yes, they did. Yeah. Yeah. Two goals and one assist for Dreisaitl, three assists for McDavid. So they combined for six points. You had Cassian and Kyra, uh, Zach Cassian and, and Jujara Kyra step up and give them some insurance from that standpoint but at the same time their defense just collapsed winnipeg's depth is far greater they had nick Ehlers come back and score the game winner um you had matthew parole score a goal and andrew cobb who's been a really strong force for their bottom six group step up and it's not like the the jets had any I'm just I'm just trying to look at the stat line right now. It was very even in terms of possession numbers at five on five. Um, Edmonton have an advantage in shots for um, Jets having a slight advantage in shot attempts. Um, Oilers had better scoring chances for 
and a higher expected goals for percentage than the Winnipeg Jets. So there is a lot that went wrong for the Oilers and the fact that they lost, I, this was a must win game for them. I mean, there is no other way to look around it. And the fact that you had a 4-1 lead just gone instantly like that. This is this is a team that's going to struggle in game four. And they're on the brink of getting swept. And like I said, their depth has been virtually invisible all year because you only relied on two guys carrying the team for you. And now you're facing an elimination. Who's going yeah. to step up other than McDavid and Dreisaitl? Worth noting as well that Jujar uh, Kara, Kara, that uh, he was in the uh, face-off dot for the the overtime goal. Game winning goal, yeah. And uh, at, at just 25% face-off uh, winning percentage uh, in this game. So uh, I'm not sure what the call was there. And, and to his credit, he had a good game otherwise. But... Um, yeah, definitely not uh, not the greatest feeling on that one. Um, but again, it comes down to, you know, we talk about physicality, and, and the Jets out hit them 47-32 in this game. Um, they were Jets were 63% on the face-off dot, uh, and Hellebuck just stood on his head. I mean, he faced 48 shots, and he, and he, yeah. and he did what he needed to do to get the, the game done, or game one for, uh, for Winnipeg. And, you know, they... they come out of this one up three nothing i think that's uh that puts a lot on on the shoulders of uh, mcdavid and dry in game four and it'll be interesting they got to win you know they got to win four in a row now uh how many teams have done it we know that stat line and it's not uh it's not looking pretty for edmonton history is definitely not on their side right now and no. i'm looking at the series report right now i mean that Edmonton has a sizable advantage in terms of, you know, uh, shot attempts, shots four, but their goals four at five on five. They only have one five on five goal four. That spells trouble. And, and we've talked about this before. This team relies heavily on their power play production, especially when you have, you know, McDavid and Dreisaitl getting all those points for you. I mean, you're in trouble right now. Yeah, it's definitely not looking pretty. And um, we'll quickly run over a few of the other series here uh, before we get into the two that are already um, moving on to round two. But uh, Vegas, Minnesota, that series has really, really um, looked a lot different than I thought it was going to look. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but uh, you know, Vegas, Vegas up three one right now. Minnesota's look good though, and, and they could easily, easily win a couple games here. Um, but uh, you know, Mark Andre Fleury, obviously, I, we, we get into this a little bit later, but we'll we'll talk about it right now. Um, you mentioned uh, in in our notes here, Vegas five an- unanswered goals in game three. On top of that, uh, Fleury became the third all-time in uh, playoff shutouts behind only Waugh and uh, Broder for that as well. So um, some crazy numbers for Vegas, but, I mean, they're up 3-1. The games have been much closer than, than that series shows. Yeah. And Minnesota has been a thorn in a lot of – in it, well, I, in the – I guess you could call this the West Division – 
they've been a thorn in a lot of team sides this year. And the fact that, you know, they were able to come out and solidify the third spot. That's great news for them. They're heading in the right direction. And I think that game where they gave up, you know, five unanswered, I think it's just the inexperience of this group. Um, you have a lot of new faces, especially Kapiro Kaprasov. Uh, the fact that, you know, you're going up against a juggernaut in the Golden Knights. Th- that game and this series, there's a lot of expectations for Vegas to win. And obviously, the Wild are going to try and come in as an underdog. But in comparison to the Oilers, they were viewed as the favorite to try and, you know, beat the Jets based on, like, the regular season performance and the way that McDavid and Dreisaitl played. And... The fact that, you know, you have the Knights on about to book their ticket in in the possibly tomorrow night. I mean, it just says a it just says a lot about their group. But yeah, I after the first game where, you know, um the Wild won in overtime, I thought that this is gonna be a very interesting series and maybe we have an upset in the works. But, you know, Vegas is Vegas, you know. They respond well, and, you know, this is the perfect opportunity for them to do so. And I'm, I mean, I wish I could see, you know, a little bit more, but I think it ends tomorrow night, Monday night, sorry, when we're recording. Yeah, no, I I think so as well. I'm right there with you. Um, Again, I think Marc-Andre Fleury just continues to prove why he should be a number one in in the league right now. And, And yeah. I mean, to have him sharing time, I mean, this is it perfect. It's exactly what happened in Pittsburgh to him. And, and he comes back and he just plays his game whenever he gets in that net. So um, huge shout out to him. Mark Stone obviously leads that team in, in a way that, uh, you know, I don't think anybody expected him to be uh, that kind of leader when he left Ottawa. Um, but what he's been able to do for the Golden Knights is just incredible. Obviously having Petro there, uh, Petrangelo, he's, he's done well. Shea Theodore, um, Shea Alex, Theodore, Alex Tuck providing yeah. some secondary scoring. Absolutely, and I mean that team is that team is an absolute juggernaut. And you know, obviously Winnipeg had had it. You know, they were going in as the underdogs, but uh, they put up a solid fight. And like I said, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they stole one more. But I I I, I will go with you and say that I I think the Gold Knights are going to finish it off uh, in, in Game Five. Um, that's I hope so it. because I have Vegas in five. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, f- jumping over to the Florida series. This one has probably been the chippiest series out of any of them. Um, and obviously, we, obviously we heard comments from uh, John Cooper following uh, game four. Um, Sergachev and Kucherov were both uh, taken out of the game due to injury. Um, I personally didn't think the Hornquist uh, hit on Sergachev was dirty as much as it was just a bad position, a bad spot for Sergachev, about three feet out from the boards. And I think that's what ended up being the, the cause of injury. I mean, we've talked about it before. That three-foot window right there between you and the boards, that's what's going to you know make the, the hit a lot worse than it is. Uh, hard to absorb for sure, but um, Tampa, you know, kind of picking up where they let off, let, left off last year with their Stanley Cup and and really giving it to Florida over the last couple of games. 
Florida kind of trying to figure things out here um, in, in terms of who they're going to put in net. And it sounds like there's potential that game five could see Spencer Knight make his uh, make make a start for the uh, the Florida Panthers going into this one. So that'll be interesting to watch as well Is this uh, this has definitely been the most physical of any series so far. No pressure for Spencer Knight. I mean, wow. Uh, do or die. Do or die. Yeah. Yeah. And you're and you're gonna. I mean, gutsy move to go with a rookie. I mean, but hey, if you think he's the best chance to try and get a W, why not? But yeah, the series is this series has gotten got ugly very very quick. I mean, like you said, it's been chippy since game one, um, especially the end of game four. That got out of hand way too quickly and i agree with you on the hornquist hits and the circuit injury um yeah i i I, i'm not going to mention too much because i agree with you but i get the playoffs are high intensity but holy hell man this is i i I don't know how to describe this series it's almost it's almost old-time hockey yeah it's on the verge of old-time hockey and this is a rivalry. I mean, we wanted to see the Toronto-Montreal rivalry. I think for the longest time, we wanted to see a Tampa Bay-Florida rivalry. And it just brought out the worst in both teams right now. Because every single time I looked up at my TV, there was either a brawl or a player injured on the ice. And this was in the span of, like, you know, the last five minutes of the third period. I'm like, oh, my God, is this, like, what is happening? But, yeah, that's... I, honestly, the officials need to be on their game because I think I think they let I think they they let them get away with too much, and I think they were at a point now where they if they see something they don't like, they gotta call it, and you don't want to try. I mean, you don't want to you don't want to sway the game in any way. But if there's something that is not right, make the call now you're at the point where you got to call it fair and not let anything stupid happen because we saw what happened in game four yeah no i i completely agree um i i do think tampa comes out and ends it in game five but again spencer knight has has been dominant in his few starts for the the panthers this season mm-hmm. um you know this is the kid of the future for these guys and and uh you know it's joel quenville behind the bench and what he's He's done in in his uh, coaching uh, coaching resume. Um, you know, it, it wouldn't I wouldn't put it past them to to go on a bit of a run here. But um, the Carolina Nashville series, and this is the beauty about playoff hockey, is it Game Four today Sunday went to double overtime with Nashville coming out four uh, three. Luke uh, Cunning scored his second of the game and second of the series to to win it in double overtime. And now the series is tied 2-2. This is a series that a lot of people had Carolina running away with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all of a sudden, uh, there's a lot of questions about where this series is going to go. And I, I should mention that both you and I had Carolina in five, so that is way out of the question. Um, but is this a series that could go seven? I'm just banking on Carolina trying to win at this point right now. But yeah, I mean, this, this is a series where not necessarily maybe we possibly can see an upset. I mean, this is turning into a great series. And just when, you know, the Canes seem to have that major advantage where they're up to nothing, they lose in back-to-back overtime games. And now the series is tied with those losses. This is a major swing of momentum for Nashville right now. 
I mean, you look at the play of UC Soros. He's been absolutely phenomenal for them. Um, it, yeah, it's 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 getting to be a very interesting series right now, and I'm looking forward to seeing what can happen in the next few games. Because, I mean, Carolina out out possessed them. They had the advantage in all metrics. I mean, you even look at the heat map for Carolina. They were all over the place. But I think the fact of the matter remains is I th- there were a couple of, you know, goals in the high danger area that proved to be a major factor for, you know, the natural predators. And ultimately, they got the good bounces. And it's just unfortunate because the way that hurt Carolina played, I mean, if you look at probably Money Puck, they probably were the favorite based on the amount of shot attempts, scoring chances and everything that was going their way. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, final shots, uh, Hurricanes had 61, Predators had 43. Uh, the Hurricanes went 0 for 4 on the power play. Um, hits were pretty pretty similar, but the Preds blocked 31 shots to Carolina's 15. Um, and it's just kind of a testament to what the Predators have kind of been fighting back all season. I mean, they started off horrific this season for them to get into the playoffs was, was a stretch. And when they did it, now they're playing Carolina who really, you know, quietly got, got everything done this season. And I think this game just started off on the wrong foot for them. Obviously, Nadelkovich is the, is the guy they're running with. And, you know, 57 seconds in, you give up an opening goal to Luke Coonan, and uh, all of a sudden you're down one nothing. It's just, uh, you know, you never want to give up a goal in that first or last minute of the period, and all of a sudden you're down one nothing. So, um, yeah, I think that was that was a, a rough start for them, and, and the whole game from there on out, they were kind of battling back, and, and that's what really, you know, drove this home for, for Nashville, like I said. You know, they Nashville was able to block 31 shots. They were able to help their goalie out, and UC Soros is on a run right now. Mm-hmm. Um, he he's he's the goalie of the future for them right now until Askarov can can come up and and get things done. And um, yeah, I mean, it, this is another this is a series that could be uh, you know going the distance, and and them along with the the Pittsburgh New York series um, also tied it to. Um, we could see two two first round series go the distance, and that'll be that'll be interesting to watch. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I'm going to jump over to the Pittsburgh New York series, like I mentioned. I just want to say one quick thing. I misread the heat map on uh, Natural Stat Trick. The Natural Predators seem to have the advantage. Their um, area in front of the net is much more darker compared to that of the Carolina Hurricanes, so they took advantage of you know crashing the net right there. Yeah, no, perfect. Um, and, and as I mentioned, the Pittsburgh-New uh, York series, again, tied 2-2. New York obviously playing, try, or at least trying to play their defensive game that they've played uh, under Barry Trotz. Um, Malkin hasn't really been Malkin. I mean, obviously missed most of the series. But uh, what, what are you taking away from this series so far? Okay, I... Don't mean to be rude, but this is one of the series that seemed to be, you know, one that lacks like any sort of like storyline. It just seems a bit boring. But at oh, the it same is boring. time, yeah. the New York Islanders are boring. <laughs> I mean, 
you look at all the other series. You have Toronto, Montreal. You have Tampa Bay, Florida. You have the Vegas Golden Knights um, dominating. You have you know the issues with Nazem Kadri on the Avalanche and Jordan Bennington on the on the Blues. Um, you have storylines in each series. There isn't one in this one where something stands out and it just seems like it's a back and forth affair. Yeah, it's entertaining, but it just out of all the other series, it just seems very bland. But give credit to the New York Islanders that where, you know, if the Pittsburgh Penguins have a really solid game, they respond back. And this game that they had yesterday on Saturday, where, you know, it was I'm trying to remember the score. I can't remember at the top of my head. It was 4-1 for the Islanders. Um, you know, two quick goals. Not two, not quick goals, but two goals in the second period and then two more in the third to make it 4 nothing. And then Zach Aston rescores. I mean, it was just... I, I, I'm not going to lie. I really didn't watch that game fully because I was so in tune with, you know, the Tampa Bay-Florida uh, game. But at the same time, it's just I'm. It's two two. I, I I honestly think that this series it could get, it can go either way. And I think if the Islanders still go with that defense first mentality leading to offense, which has been a major success for them, then advantage them. And if, unless uh, Malkin steps up to the plate, I think they're going to be trouble because I think the Islanders have Tristan Jari figured out. You know, most of the glo- goals have gone over his glove, so. There's a scouting report that they're going to try and shoot glove hand every single time on Tristan Jari right now. Ilya Sorokin, uh, in his two games played for the for the Islanders in the playoffs, a 9.44 save percentage, a 176 goals against, um, and and just for good measure has added two penalty minutes as well. But um, <laughs> you know, I I think it kind of tells you that there's a changing of the guard a little bit in New York and. Yeah. Um, still playing that trots defensive game um, that goalies are going to succeed. And if you, if you're a goalie that can steal a game um, it's made 10 times easier when you're playing behind or in a system like that. Um, Tristan Jari, four games, two and two, nine Oh four save percentage, three Oh four goals against. So kind of, telling in terms of what how this series is played out even when the pens win um they've given up significant goals um and i think that's where you know that's where this series is headed i i still think the islanders are going to take it um i think the defensive game is just going to be overwhelming for the pens Mm -hmm. and, and as you mentioned i think they have tristan jari figured out but this is another series that could potentially go the distance um you know, it, it's down to the best of three, and and it's going to come. You know, it's going to come down to whether the uh, the Islanders and Trots can play that defensive game and succeed that way. Yeah, definitely. And the fact that you know, you look at the goaltending situation, not a whole lot of experience there. They're relying on Jerry. I mean, you had Matt Murray, you had Mark Andre Fleury. Um, stupid, stupid decisions in goal yeah. in goal for the Pens over the last few years. Stupid. Yeah. Yeah, now it's coming back to haunt them. And where's where's a Mark Andre Fleury? Oh, that's right. He's uh, he's on In his way Vegas. to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, we, there are two series that did end uh, today, Sunday, as I mentioned. 
Um, obviously, Boston and Colorado will be moving on uh, to the second round. Uh, Boston was able to close it out um, against the Washington Capitals and Big Z uh, with a a big 3-1 win to close out the series 4-1 to in five games. You know, in this one, I just, I just felt. I mean, I, I think we've seen Boston enough in the playoffs. We know that Boston is is dominant. Their their yeah. top line is dominant. Then they bring in Taylor Hall, David Krejci. You know, steps it up. You, you know, Charlie Coyle. The list goes on. What they have on the back end with McAvoy, Tuka playing at the top of his game. Um, the Boston Bruins are a scary, scary team, and. You know, you're talking about a Washington team that maybe the the window's closing on them a little bit. The goaltending's young. Ilya Sam, Sam, Samsonov was uh, relied upon after uh, Wojtek Vanacek went down and Craig Anderson was brought in. And, uh, you know, obviously they had high hopes with, with signing Henrik Lundqvist in the offseason, but that, uh, that went away. It, it just was a tough year for Washington, and... You know, Ovi didn't have the the playoffs that Ovi normally has, and and Kuznetsov was invisible, and you know Oshi wasn't wasn't really there, and Backstrom wasn't there, and John Carlson wasn't there. It just it wasn't the Washington Capitals that we were used to, and I think that's why we saw Boston get it done in five. Um, but again, all the credit to Boston. I mean, this is a team that's been dominant for so many years because they can build that core up. And they let Big Z walk this summer, which was obviously tough for that team. And we saw the in the handshake line, uh, obviously Bergeron and all the other Bs uh, kind of, you know, give give a little extra hug to uh, to Char as they left. And and uh, you know, it, it's it's tough to watch watch uh, a guy like that leave your team, especially what he meant to that club. But um, yeah, I mean, I had Boston in six; they got it done in five, and and. Uh, you know, kudos to them for moving on to the second round. Yeah, I mean, as much as I hate to say it, based on like the past history that the Bruins have had with the Maple Leafs, they were phenomenal. They they took the life out of you know Ovechkin, Backstrom, all their star players, and in in exchange, their depth also played a key factor. Craig Smith, uh, I believe, scored a game you know, a game winning goal. Um, he was a great off-season acquisition for them. Taylor Hall, I mean, Lee Sands can, like, complain about how they didn't get Taylor Hall, but we have enough skill on this team. Bruins needed more secondary scoring. They got that with Hall, and he's proven to be a really great acquisition for them right now. And just for the Washington Capitals, a lot of question marks were going to be on Ilya Samsonov if he was ready to assume the starting role. It seemed like that, but then... He, a lot of issues on and off the ice. Um, not a whole lot of uncertainty uncertainty in the goaltending situation, especially since Lumpus went down. That was going to be a big question mark, especially in the playoffs right now where you're going up against Tuka Rask. Um, I thought, I, I mean, I expected a better outcome and a better results knowing that, you know, this team has a lot of consistency to their game where, they rely heavily on their forwards, um, you know, getting a lot of help from their bottom six as well, being aggressive. It just didn't show up. It was not there at all. And Boston proved to just come out on top. They proved to be that, you know, um, 
can't really put down any thoughts right now because there's no other way to describe it. They were just perfect in every, in every sense of the game. Yeah, I think the most defining moment was the Pasternak goal to open up the scoring in Game 5 here today. Um, oh, that was you a know, beautiful move. Yeah, through his legs, Nick Jensen on uh, Washington kind of stepped off and let him kind of walk to the net. Uh, and Pasternak was able to just kind of put it past uh, Samsonov and, and really defined how this series went. And, and Washington almost opened their game up a little bit to Boston and, and allowed them to, to really dominate in the offensive zone. And, you know, when it comes down to it, obviously – you know, Washington probably would have liked to stick with Vanacek for the playoffs. He's the guy that they kind of rode all season long. But that being said, you know, it comes down to a, a well-oiled machine in Boston. And, and that's what we've seen against Toronto for a number of years now. So just glad oh, we yeah. didn't see them in the first round. Oh, thank God. I, 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 could, I couldn't take <laughs> I couldn't take another one. I really couldn't. No, I'm right there with you. But uh, <laughs> the other series that ended tonight... Um, who would have guessed that Colorado would have swept this series? I did. That's right, you did. I did four you had nothing. Colorado four in four. I had Colorado I had, in five. I had to take a screen cap of my predictions and circle Colorado for nothing and write COVID because I am never right on anything. I mean. In the past, I'm like pretty bang on with picking the teams, but the games always throw me off. It throws everybody off, right? But yeah. the fact that I was able to get a sweep, oh man, that's just great. But I mean, what Colorado did to the Blues was just absolutely unfair. Like it was like uh, it was literally how do I put it this way? It was literally a Stanley Cup team against you know a non-playoff contender. Okay, that's what so. It like. I have I have a theory about this uh, this series, and I'm not saying that that St. Louis would have won it had it been had I my theory been different, but I think they would have made it a little bit more competitive had Bennington not gone off in Game One. Yeah, and to anybody that remembers, Bennington obviously earlier in the year went off on the San Jose Sharks and, and pulled some WWE shit. And we talked about it last episode about, um, you know, I guess he jumped over to the WCW this time around and, and decided he was going to join that, uh, that, that uh, organization as well. But um, in game one, he, he had another one of his, you know, I, I don't know meltdowns. what it was meltdowns. Yeah. Where he tried to take on Grubauer or whoever the hell he wanted to take on. And, um, for me, and I said it to, I said it to a colleague of mine that I think that moment there was the end of it for St. Louis. Yeah. Because I don't know if he was trying to be uh, trying to show toughness for his team or trying to get his team motivated or whatever it may have been. But I think the meltdown, it's one of those moments where his teammates were just kind of like, okay, um, you know, enough's enough. Like it's different if you went in and there was a passion, let's say, let's call it a passion brawl where everybody was going at it and, and you skated down and, and, and fought group art. That, that, that's a little bit different yeah. for him was, to do what he did. It, it was Bush league and it just, it was so uncalled yeah. for. And I think he got in his own head and it got in the head of, of, of his teammates 
And from that point on, St. Louis just did not look the same. And and for me, that was that was the end of the line for St. Louis. And, and Colorado took full advantage. And and we do have a little bit of you know discussion around this this uh, this series, obviously with Nazem Kadri um, taking an eight game suspension for for an absolutely fucking brutal hit to the head of Justin Falk. Um, I like. You can't even say the wires crossed on this one. It was just a stupid play, and I mm-hmm. and I I almost think like Kadri checks out and just does whatever he does. I I think he forgets, you know what what's really going on in the game and just decides to run whoever he wants and has no no real wherewithal as to what's going on. But that said, obviously he's facing an, or he he was handed an eight game su- suspension. Um, Elliot Friedman did report that he is going to uh, he he is going to um, challenge that and, and and obviously that'll go to the league office first and it can go to a separate arbitrator after that if he's not happy with the decision. I can't see it being reduced. Um, I can see maybe them dropping one game, but I think this is more just of a hail mary to see if he can get any games taken off at this point. But yeah, just another stupid play on on the part of Kadri. And look, I'm I'm one for. I wanted I wanted Kadri back on the Leafs. I thought we needed that toughness. Um, I look at it now, and I'm reminded of of how how fucking dumb he can be in the playoffs, and, and how much he can cost his team. And, and you know, fortunately, when it comes to the Colorado Avalanche, he's he's not as much of a, a key role player mm-hmm. um, as he was on the Leafs, and and that won't hurt Colorado as much as it hurt Toronto. Uh, but still, what a what a stupid play. Um, yeah, I mean, they're they're fortunate that they have the team that they have because they came away with the four nothing sweep and and kudos to them for getting it done and Grubauer. I mean, I'm sure Washington would love to have him back. Yeah, I'm I'm just gonna touch up on Bennington. This guy is trying to play the antagonizing role. He is not that, and the fact that he went over and he was like pointing his stick towards Grubauer, you really think they were scared of him? I'm not telling you. I'm telling you, chance. if Grubauer got his hands on him, Bennington would be fucking dead. Probably. I'm telling you. Probably. I mean, I, 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 I don't, I don't know. Nothing unfolded. Um, but at the same time, he, we see what Bennington does. Like what he did was very cow. Like what he's done in the past is very cowardly. So for him to do that is not surprising. I mean, like I, I, I just. Again, you thought that you were going to try and get some momentum on your side by doing what you did against the Colorado Avalanche. Dude, literally, they torched him and lit him up every single chance that they got. I mean, there, there's no other way. If you thought that it wasn't going to, you, you were going to try and help your team, it didn't. Colorado, again, like you said, they swept them. Colorado wasn't phased by him at all. And in regards to Kadri, I mean, this is the third time he's done something stupid in the postseason, and it's come back to bite him every single time. Um, we've talked about this before. You just said we want, we love Nazem Kadri and the style that he brings, including the edge. But when he crosses the line, it gets to a point where enough is enough. And there's a reason why. I mean, 
it hasn't been official, but let's let's face it. The reason why they got rid of him is because of the two suspensions of the playoffs, the Maple Leafs. Um, it's just now like enough is enough. Like when when is he going to clue in and figure out that hey, this is going to kill me. Like it again, like you said, he's not a major role. He's a role player, but he's not that star or go to guy like he was on the Leafs. He there's McKinnon, Rantanen, Landis Cog, Burakowski, Saad, um, Alex Newhook. Pretty damn good. He's an afterthought. He's an afterthought on Colorado. Yeah. Like, just looking at Alex Newhook, you look at the the depth they have on defense right now. You take Nazem Kadri out of the lineup. Okay. Taking Nazem Kadri out of the lineup is not going to hurt them at all. They have the depth. This team is a Stanley Cup contender no matter what. But he having him in is going to help. But at the same time, when he does stupid stuff like this, I mean, his arm came up and got him in the head. I mean, simple as that. I don't know why he's trying to appeal it. It's not going to work. Knowing his history... It was the main point of contact. It was dumb. Simple as that. But at the same time, my thing is this. What's ironic about the whole Basim Kadri thing is he gets suspended, right? Totally deserved it. It was it was really, really dumb. But when explaining the video of his suspension, this comment or this quote that the DOPS uh, Department of Player Safety put in the video from the collective bargaining agreement. Players who repeatedly violate league playing rules will be more severely punished for each new violation. Now, we've seen Kadri get, you know, I believe in the his first one was three games in the playoffs and five, and now he's at eight. Okay, great. But it's Kadri deserves a suspension. A hundred percent. He is a repeat offender based on his past history in the playoffs. But what the hell did you do about Tom Wilson when he ragged all the star player and punched the guy three times in the back of the head? Literally like a month or two after he got a seven game suspension for elbowing Brandon Carlo. I'm actually so glad that you brought this up because like, I was sitting here debating whether I even go after the Department of Player Safety again because I'll do uh, it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm convinced that our listeners are tired of hearing the same rant from me every every Sorry, week guys. about the Department of Player Safety. But I that was exactly my thought. And I, I, I'm pretty sure I tweeted out that, um, you know, it just – I guess it – they do this for repeat offenders unless your name is Tom Wilson. Just and us consistency. That's all we ask. That's all we're asking. And I, I'm not – this isn't a headhunt at Tom Wilson. Like I said, I think Tom Wilson can be great for the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, he plays on the edge. Just the same way I think Nazem Kadri can be great for the game. It's about figuring out where you're teetering that line and when you step over it. And that's not to say you're not going to step over it every once in a while, lay a stupid hit, maybe get suspended for a couple games. But when you do it as blatantly as as these guys are doing it. And as often. And as often. The league has to step in and do something about it. Yeah. And they did here with Kadri. Yes, eight playoff games is is significant. That, You know, we, we kind of say a playoff game is two regular season games. So you're talking about roughly 16 regular season games. Yeah. 
a guy in Tom Wilson who, like you said, was just coming off a suspension of seven games for a blatant elbow to Brandon Carlo or or whatever, for him to not get suspended for, you know, trying to take down arguably one of the game's top ten players, I don't... Uh, I, I, $5,000 is the new suspension. $5,000. $5,000. Like I said, <laughs> if I'm Buknevich, I'm going out there hacking and slashing and spearing every goddamn person that comes close to me on the op- opposition because I know that it's going to be a $5,000 fine, maybe a one-game suspension at this point. Yeah. That's as simple as that. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. If I'm if I'm a if I'm a player like Kadri, if I'm a player like Wilson, I'm going after every star player out there. Yeah. Because what are you going to do? I will I will appeal the decision and I will go back and use the Tom Wilson suspension as reference and I think that's why Kadri's going to appeal it. Yeah. He, they'll talk about his history and he's going to come back with, "Well, what did you do about Tom Wilson?" And and that's the argument that I would use too. Again, Absolutely. Granted that Kadri deserves a suspension. The without a that, doubt, without a doubt. The fact that Tom Wilson doesn't get anything for what he did just shows that, okay, well, why am I being punished when this guy... I mean, Kedry hasn't been suspended in more than 18 months. More than what technically qualifies as a repeat offender, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly. He's not technically under the CBA. He is not technically a repeat offender. But, based on his past history in the playoffs and what he's done, they use that in this decision. And I get that, but at the same time, if, again, Tom Wilson did two stupid plays in the span of two months, what the hell? Is, is, this, this, not, is this not where the league shot themselves in the foot, though? Because yeah. they are the ones who created that rule of what qualifies as a repeat offender. To me, anybody who's got a history of doing it, whether it's six years ago or, or 12 years ago in, in, in junior, You're it's a, a history. Offender, You're a no repeat offender. What. Yep. So now you have a repeat offender in Tom Wilson who just earlier this season was suspended for seven games. You're doing fuck all about it. You've got a guy in Nazem Kadri who under your own rules is not technically a repeat offender and you, you tag him with eight playoff games. That's where the argument is is blowing right up. And, yeah. and I agree with you. Nazem Kadri deserves to be suspended. I believe he deserves the eight games, if not more. Mm-hmm. But... You shot yourselves in the foot as the league when you didn't do anything about Tom Wilson. Yeah. You shot yourselves in the foot when you made up this stupid rule about what qualifies a repeat offender. If somebody is 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 arrested for, let's say, distribution of 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 hard drugs, let's let's say that. Let's let's go that route. And two years after getting out of of jail they're doing the same thing and they are arrested again they are repeat offender they have a history of doing the same crime the same qualifies in the game of hockey in my books <sighs> I, I'm, I'm just done i'm just done <laughs> yay like, NHL. It's, it's not gonna it's not gonna change anything i mean we could talk about it all the time it's they're not gonna change the rule 
And if they do, it's going to be a major miracle if they do. But at the same time, yeah, yeah, there's our two cents. Welcome to our TED Talk. Yeah. And, uh, you know, going off the Department of Player Safety, Anthony Mantha and Jordan Stahl were both also fined 5K this week. I think 5K should be trending on Twitter. Um, it's it, it seems to be the uh, the go-to in terms of, of what uh, players are fined uh, these days. But it's regardless. The yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm just kind of I'm kind of over the Department of Player Safety at this point. George Peros, you finally did it for me. Um, you know, I, I think George Peros should start his own podcast and call it, um, the rules outside the rules. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm copywriting that right now. So don't, uh, don't take trademark. that Mr. Peros trademark, but yeah, I mean, you even look at online on Twitter, everyone's had enough. It's, it's just, everyone's tired of it. Yeah, and, and, and for good reason, but uh, it is what it is. Um, also going on this week in the hockey world, the Vancouver Canucks agreed to terms with their head coach, Travis Green, on an extension. Uh, me personally, I, I don't want to get too much into it, but I, I like the call. I think Green, obviously, you know, coming off the year that they had, um, he did what he could with the team that was in front of him. A lot of injuries, a lot of uh, covid um, kind of changed that lineup for him. But uh, I think he's a solid coach. I, I think he's proven that. And uh, I think he's looking forward to an opportunity at another 82-game season when that gets underway. 100%. Um, also, Megan Dugan, um, part of the Devils player development program. I think this, again, we mentioned it with Haley Wickenheiser, Dr. Haley Wickenheiser. We will mention it with uh, with with this move as well. I think the Devils are are jumping on board with this movement to bring women into the game, and I think it's a huge huge opportunity. I love it. I'm I'm a hundred percent behind it, and I think they can add so much to to the organizations that they join uh, and to the players that they're involved with. And uh, I think it's a it's a solid move by uh, by. Um, the devils to get her involved as well. Yeah. I mean, let, let's face it. She's had a fantastic career. If there's anyone to try and help develop players and get them going and to jump start, start their career. I mean, we, we already talked about Haley, how she did a fan. She's doing a fantastic job. Your next bet is probably going to be Megan Duggan with the success that she's had with team USA. So, you know what? Um, huge congratulations to her. Um, really, really pr- proud for her. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, last thing on the uh, on the sheet for us today, the NHL draft lottery odds. What are your thoughts on this? Um, let's just hope the New York Rangers don't win with one percent, based on what happened last year. <laughs> um, I mean, I, you look at it going down the board. Buffalo has the best odds, 16.6. Anaheim, 12.1. Seattle, 10.3. Um, you're, you're probably looking at, I'm hoping that, or Seattle has the same odds as the New, New Jersey Devils. So I think realistically, Seattle can't fall lower than five. I think they're guaranteed maybe a top five pick, which is going to be exciting to jumpstart their organization. But man, if you're the Buffalo Sabres, I know this is a really tough draft, but you have to make this pick count. Yeah, it's, word 
Sorry, go ahead. I was just about to say, if it's Maddie Beneers, if it's William Eklund, who had a standout year in the SHL, if it's another strong, steady defenseman like Owen Power, you got a lot of options right now. Um, Because let's face it, this this draft, I mean, again, it's not the right draft to... It's going to be a very disorganized draft, but you got to make the most of it no matter what. Yeah, word out of Michigan is that uh, Matty Beneers has already requested a trade from the Buffalo Sabres. <laughs> um, well, I, I, I guess that maybe if he falls down the number six for the Detroit Red Wings, it's going to be a short drive for him um, <laughs> if he makes a team. But hey, um, yeah, I mean, I, again, yeah. Y- we Again, love you, Buffalo. We love you, uh, Buffalo. We love you, Buffalo. <laughs> um, I, I let's just hope things go right for you and things turn the corner because you guys really deserve it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we hate on the Sabers a lot, but uh, the fans there are just incredible. And um, yeah, I mean, give them credit for sticking with this team yeah. for as long as they have. But we won't hate on you too much this episode. Um, last... I still find it funny that the Arizona Coyotes have three point one percent chance to win, even though that they forfeit their pick. <laughs> I did read that if they did win, they're going to have to redo the draw. So, yeah, the draw will be conducted again if they win. I don't know why you just don't. There, there, will just, there like, just won't be a first overall pick this year. Like, I don't understand why you just don't give them zero odds if they don't have a first round pick. Yeah, yeah. So, they'll just they'll just jump right to the second overall pick. <laughs> God. Uh, but, uh, laughable, laughable. And, and what, what is also laughable is that, uh, Canada is 0-2 at the world hockey championship. Um, first defeated by the Latvians to nothing, um, on, uh, uh, sorry, I want to say the 21st and then again, beat 5-1 by the U S, uh, today, Sunday. So, Canada not off to a great start at the World Hockey or the uh, yeah the World Championship in Latvia, Sweden um, as well. Sweden as well, yes. Uh, but uh, yeah. you know what? Nice for the Latvians to get a win under their belt yeah. at home against the Canadians, the powerhouse. Considering uh, that the Latvians have been a real have given Canada a major run for their money at a, the past couple of tournaments or international play, especially even at the uh, U18s um, World Hockey Championship. <laughs> That was a really impressive Latvian squad. Um, yeah, they got a really great program right now. If they continue to develop, they're going to have some really great prospects coming out of that system because, man, hockey's alive and well there. Yeah, and and Canada's got an opportunity to turn around here. They play the Germans next uh, tomorrow. Yes. Uh, that's Monday. They play uh, Norway on the 26th, Kazakhstan on the 28th, Italy on the 30th, and finally finished off with Finland on June 1st. So a lot of opportunity here for the Canadians to really turn it around. But with that, we always have to close out our episodes. Um, even though we know you guys want to stick it out with us a little bit longer, <laughs> we get tired as well. We like to shut it down for a little while, but with that said, guys, uh, thank you again for joining us for episode 41 of the show. Uh, you can follow Peter on Twitter at P you can follow myself at Andrew G Forbes or the podcast at Sticks in the Six Pod S T I X I N T H E Six I X P O D, 
We're also on Instagram. You can find us now on YouTube and be sure to check out that interview with Paul Hendrick. It was phenomenal. Uh, wonderful watch. Great guy. Phenomenal uh, phenomenal work he's done over his career as well. Um, or you can head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you download your podcast to not only download our episodes, but you can subscribe, comment, um, do whatever you need to do. Great review. Help us get more content out there for you. And uh, as, as we move forward, we're hoping to bring you lots more content with uh, both guests and whatever the heck else we can think of moving forward. <laughs> um, before we shut it down for good, Peter, anything you want to let our listeners know about? Um, just be on the lookout for some more draft profiles coming your way at my end. How about you, Andrew? Not really, guys. Uh, I've got uh, draft profiles coming out. I've got uh, some obits uh, coming out for the um, for the uh, teams that have been eliminated from the playoff contention. But aside from that, everybody stay safe. Yes. Wear your mask. Enjoy what you can enjoy right now. We're nearing Golf's, the end. We're nearing the end. Golf's opened up. I'm hitting the links on Wednesday, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, aside from that, look forward to Game 3 between the Montreal Canadiens and our Toronto Maple Leafs. Go Leafs, go. We love you, JT. Love you.